0: Okay, my name is Josh Burnham, lead pastor here uh, at Bethel, and today I have the joy of bringing the Word of God to you. And we'll be in the book of John, again, the Gospel of John. So we're in the midst of what we're calling the the Jesus Story Sermon Series. This is our fourth week in John, I believe. So go ahead and mark your Bible. We'll be here for the next several weeks. Uh, As you find your way in the Word of God in John chapter 4... Uh, Let me remind you what we're about and what we do. So when you gather right now, something happens. Jesus tells us this very clearly. He says, where two or more are gathered in my name, and the chances are likely that we have two or more gathered in the name of Jesus today. So he promises that he is here also. The Bible says that a a strand that is greater than three is not easily broken. So you find strength today. The Bible Tells us to bury, not bury, well, we can bury them, but to bear each other's burdens. Hopefully, we will bury them also as we bear them with one another. So, something happens to our souls in this midst. God is active right now. So, so don't think you're just showed up to church. No, God is working, He is living, and He is active in His people. This is a special moment because God is working. So as we open the word, we expect God to work in our hearts. Now, if you're new here, if you're watching online and you think, what have I entered into? Uh, This is what we call the church where God is still working in his people to show the world that he cares and that he loves them. So this is how we're going to welcome you. If you are new, we're just going to applaud and welcome you. So welcome to Bethel. Uh, We pray that God does something in your life. Listen, if you are not a Christian, we pray that you will say yes to Jesus Christ by the end of our time. We pray that you will hear something, that you will see something, that you will know God loves you and he's created you to experience his love. Because we believe the greatest thing that could happen to you is that you say yes to Jesus Christ. Right? So with that, let's look at John 4. I'm calling this sermon, The Water, the Well, and the Worship. John 4. The Water, the Well, and the Worship. I'll read verse 1. I'm reading from the CSB. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Now that's John the baptizer, by the way. Though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. He left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So it's um underline or circle or or mentally highlight that word he had to okay verse 5 he came to a town of samaria called sychar near the property that jacob had given his son joseph jacob's well was there and jesus worn out from his journey sat down at the well now john's very clear it was around noon time Some of your Bibles might say it was the sixth hour, that's noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked him. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, you know that this is not where the conversation ends, but that's where we're going to pause and we're going to pray and we're going to begin our time this morning. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I know that in this room, in this moment, listening online, that there are all walks of life. There are some who are weary and some who are rested. There are some who have found salvation. There are some who are groping in the darkness. But Lord, we believe that you will meet us all where we are today. So Lord, would you illuminate our hearts and our minds? Lord, no one here has yet arrived. No one here is a graduate of grace. So Lord, would you do something in our lives today that we need? Because you are actively working in your people that the rest of the world might see that you are the God who saves. Lord restore us, refresh us with the living water. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. So this is where this is where the passage begins. Right? Jesus is is baptizing in in this around water. So the passage begins not with drinking water but with ceremonial water. So Jesus is in the southern area, Judea. He's probably east of Jerusalem somewhere and He's, he's baptizing. Well, no, he's not baptizing. His disciples are baptizing. And the Pharisees are hearing about this. And so Jesus now has unwanted attention upon him. So he travels back to Galilee. Now, Galilee is a location that Jesus spends roughly three years of his ministry. That's his, that's his home base. And the trip's around two to three days. Now, for the pious Jew, you could have avoided Samaria. But Jesus goes... The direct route, the two-day route, through Samaria. Now, but before we jump into that, I'm reminded that Jesus is baptizing. Why? John is reminding us that Jesus washes away sins. Baptism, right? The person is submerged under the water. They are dead to their self. They are raised in new life. John is reminding you that Jesus is the one who saves. Jesus can wash away your sins as this woman at the well is going to find. And listen, this is not only a story for 2,000 years ago. Jesus can wash away your sins right now. And you say, well, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but Jesus does, and he can wash away your sins. I know because he's washed mine. And I know if he can wash this heart, he can wash yours. And next Sunday, in this location, at this hour, we're going to have people that have said yes to Jesus Christ that are going to show the world that Jesus has changed them. And we want to invite you to be a part of that. If you've never obediently followed Jesus in baptism, would you fill out a Green Connect card or connect with us online right now? We would love for you to be a part of this service. We'd we'd love for you to show the world that Jesus can wash you and has washed you. Do not miss a chance to be faithful and obedient. John reminds us of that eternal truth. And so as Jesus now journeys up, Josephus, the historian, tells us this. That Samaria was the necessary route on occasions of haste. So if you wanted to get to Galilee Quickly, it's the interstate, right? You jump on the interstate and you go through Samaria. But here's what we know about Jesus Jesus doesn't do anything because he has to, he's God. And nothing in Scripture ever tells us that Jesus is in a hurry, he's God. So the have to, there's something deeper going on here than natural geography. I I believe that Jesus, if he wanted to, he could have told the mountains to split and he could have walked right through his personal highway to Galilee. But what is going on here? I, I believe that the have to is the mission of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus has a greater mission. Jesus goes to Samaria... And goes to the well because he knows there's someone there that needs to be saved. Now that's going to sink in shortly. Jesus knows that there's someone that is thirsty and they need living water. Jesus does the will of his father. That's the have to. It's not geographic based. It's spirit led. So when's the last time you were spirit led? If Jesus has to because of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need to follow the Holy Spirit? When is the last time that you had to do something? You knew that the Holy Spirit was working in you and through you for His glory. That's what God wants to do in your life. Sam Storm said this way. I love what he says about the Spirit. He says, God does not simply give you the Spirit he, he gives the Spirit into us. So God doesn't just give you His Spirit. He gives the Spirit into you. The Spirit isn't just here. He is inside. So God's Spirit, if you are a Christ follower, the Spirit of the living God is in you. That, that's His promise and His purpose. And God's Spirit is in you to lead you, to guide you, to comfort you and to show the world that God is not finished yet. This is the have to. Jesus has to because he is on a mission to show the world that he is the Savior. So he goes to a place called Sychar. Now it's interesting, this is the place that Jacob gives to Joseph. This is probably the location... You remember when Joseph dies in Egypt and he tells him, don't you let my bones stay in in Egypt... I don't care what you do, but you take my bones back to the land of promise. It was most likely that Sychar was the place of Joseph's burial. And it's in this place that Jesus is tired and he's worn out. Why? He's he's walked a long way. He's tired. And I I was reminded of one of the gospel questions for several weeks ago. That the God that we worship, Jesus Christ, is a picture of the incarnation. Jesus is fully God, all powerful, and fully human. He is the God that quenches thirst, and because He was human, He thirsted Himself. And the gospel question we asked was this: What sort of Redeemer is needed to bring us back to God? Do you remember the answer? We need a Redeemer who is truly human and also fully God. Because only a human could pay the price for the sins of people. That's our Redeemer. That's our God. He thirsts because He experienced our pain. He experienced our dryness. That's the God that we serve. And because of Jesus' redemptive mission... To reconcile men and women back to God. He goes to the well. Did you catch the time reference? At noon. Now, Alabama folk, what do you know about noon to three o'clock? If you get a chance to stay indoors, that's when you want to do it. That's the heat of the heat of the day. So Jesus comes, but he, he comes because he is on a rescue mission. He's rescuing someone that needs to be saved. By the way, if you have come here today and you are not a Christ follower, you are the one that He's come for. You are the rescued. You are the one that Jesus leaves heaven, the comfort of heaven, and goes to the the heat of earth. Jesus goes to the well because he's, He's ostracized. He's living in a world that's not His own. He came to save and he's come to save you. But Jesus is not alone at this well. We, we also meet a lady. We don't know her name. The Bible just simply says she's a woman. In verse 7. And she comes to the well for the same reason. I, can I give you a really deep theological insight? Jesus comes to the well because he's thirsty. Okay? The woman comes to the well because she's thirsty that's why you go to wells so the same reason seemingly brings her to the well but there's something deeper going on with this woman now scholars have debated why she's there at this time but this is what we do know she's unnamed she travels alone she's in the midday sun which suggests that she is looked down upon by her community Typically, women in the ancient world travel to the well either in the evenings or in the mornings to avoid the heat. And they never travel alone. One, because there's safety in numbers, but two, because there's strength in numbers. You can carry more water when you're not alone. So this woman comes to the well at this time of day because she's shunned by her community. If Jesus' have-to is spiritual, her have-to is from shame. She comes to the well because the world has really said, we don't want you here. The world has labeled her and they've cast her aside. And maybe you feel like that woman today. Maybe you feel like you can identify with that pain because there are things in your past, maybe because of your sin, maybe because of the sin of others in your life that you are labeled by the world and you don't feel comfortable anywhere else. I want you to know that Jesus Christ can take your shame and make you new. And so this woman asked Jesus a question. Verse seven. Jesus well actually, Jesus asked a question. He says, "Give me a drink," because John notes, and he's one of the he's one of the disciples. John notes that what happens. The disciples have gone into town to buy food. Now, what you don't know probably is they've taken the the leather skin that they would use to dip down into the well. The well was over 100 feet. It still exists today. They would have taken the ladle to draw water with them. So Jesus is sitting by the well without anything to draw because the disciples have gone into town to buy food. And so Jesus asks, give me a drink. And the lady says this, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? See, the shame brought her to the well. And I can imagine that this woman is looking at Jesus thinking, What do you want from me? I've been abused by the world. My community doesn't want me? What do you want? What are you going to take from me to? I believe that's how the question was asked. But she's going to find someone that's different. See, I believe this question is is from a lifetime of shame and a lifetime of pain. And, And what we're going to see in Jesus Christ, listen, you don't have to live a life of shame. If you've come in here and you are heavy and you are weary and you are shame and guilt ridden. By the way, shame is what the world says about you. Guilt is what you know about yourself. If you've come in here with that, you can leave here with freedom. Jesus can radically change your life and he will radically make you new. Listen, you don't have to live in shame. The have-to of shame brought the woman to the well, but you don't have to take that away from the well. If you give it to Christ, He will do something in you. And we see in verse 10, Jesus answers her. And Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God who was saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked Him and He would give you living water. And the woman says, Sir. Now it's interesting, this this word can also mean, it can mean Sir or it can mean Lord. I think she's using it as Sir. But she doesn't realize she's talking to the Lord. Sir, you don't even have a bucket. And this well is a hundred foot deep. So where are you going to get this living water? Now she is not being presumptuous. She's being practical. Right? This well is a hundred foot deep. Where are you going to get the living water? water. Are you greater than our father Jacob? And I bet Jesus in his heart is thinking why yes I am. He gave us this well and he drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Now Jesus is teaching her about about living water in Palestine the, the same word for living water means fresh water it's good water it's not bitter it's not stagnant this is fresh water is the water that gives you life Jacob's well is where it is because there's a natural living spring that feeds it and Jacob used it to feed and to water his flock but Jesus says there's a, there's a greater spring that he uses to to give water to his People, I don't think she realizes it, but, but Jesus is probably humming to himself. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. I think Jesus is saying, if you knew, Woman, if you knew what I could do for you, I will forgive your guilty stains. And he says in verse 13, He says, Everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give will never become thirsty. In fact, the water that I give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life and so she says in verse 15 she says sir give me this water so i will not get thirsty and and come here to draw water now i think what she's saying is i don't want to come here by myself anymore because every noon when i come here it's a reminder that i am not wanted It's a reminder that I am living in sin. And it's a reminder that the world knows about my sin. I am coming here at noon because I am labeled and I will never get rid of that. Give me this water. So I will never have to come. And what I see in this, Jesus reminds us about this thirst If you have never had the living water of Jesus Christ, you'll always be thirsty. I find that thirsty people lead to dry worshipers. I don't hear it a lot, but I've heard church people in the past say, Well, I'm just not being fed in worship. And I say, Oh, you're not. Well, all I can do is make the meal. I can't force feed you. I don't say it like that's what I'm thinking. I don't say that. But if Jesus has offered us food and water, who am I to tell him, well, I'm thirsty and it's your fault, God. If you're thirsty, maybe it's not a word issue. Maybe it's a heart issue. Maybe, maybe I'm thirsty because I'm not drinking like I should. And if you say, well, you're getting a little personal right now. Good. I want to talk to you because there is a well that will refresh your soul. Drink freely of that well. That's what Jesus is offering us. Thirsty people will always lead to dry worshipers. And she says, give me this. Now here's what she's missing. This woman is still living a give me life. She's saying, Jesus, what's in it for me? But what does Jesus turn around? He says, if you knew who was asking, you would have asked Him. You see, the Christian life is not about give me, give me, give me. The Christian life is about ask Him. Ask Him. Ask Him. Why is Jesus at the well? Because He had to. Why does He go to the well? Because the Spirit led. How do you know the Spirit's will in your life? Ask Him. Ask Him. What does God want for you? Ask Him. There is something deep here. When you are living a give me life, you are not living according to Jesus. But you can. And I find myself so often like this woman. Just saying, Jesus, you give it to me. You're going to make my life easier? Man, I don't have to draw water. I don't have to be in shame. Give it to me. And Jesus says that's not how the Christ life works. It's about asking Him. Salvation is not give me, it is ask Him. And so now He hits the heart of the matter. So we're having a spiritual conversation and then He says, seems, seeming off the cuff, right? Jesus says, okay, go call your husband and come back here. Where in the world did that come from? I thought we were talking about water. And the woman says, I don't have husbands. Technically true. Technically true. But her lifestyle and the shame of that is why she had to go to the well. So Jesus is not okay with you just being okay. Jesus always goes deeper into your life. But I, I think her answer is potentially misleading. And, and so what is she doing here? This woman is, she's, she's saying enough to God, but she's also clinging to her privacy. She said, well, I don't have one. And, and I'm reminded that in our lives, we will never come to Christ if we're still trying to keep face and save face. There's some Baptist people that need to hear that. Right? What we think confession is, well, I'm going to confess the, uh, the not-so-bad sins. You know, we think confession is like, let me think. What, what's the worst thing I can... God, I'm going to, I did not pray for dinner last night. Lord, forgive me because I did not say grace. You know, we, we want to confess and still save face before God. Listen, confession is not about letting God know what you did. Uh, Here's a news alert. God knows your life. He knows your past, your present, and your future. Confession is about admitting to God what He already knows about you. Confession is saying to God, God, I now agree with you about my sin. So if you, have trying to been, if you are trying to live a Christ life where you're saving face, that's not confession. And the, the woman is, is doing that. And so she says this, he says this, and then she responds. Jesus says, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband. Now I think she's, she's thinking, okay, whew, I'm glad that's over with. But Jesus responds You've had five husbands and the man you now live with is not your husband. What you have said is true. Let me let me stop right here. In the ancient world, the rabbis would say that it is it is okay to have three husbands, but after you get past the third, you should remain unmarried. So even even the most progressive rabbi would say five's too many. And in the ancient world, for a man to to live with a woman means that he is treating her as a concubine or a prostitute. Now, now can I just take a quick aside? If you are living with someone right now and you are not married, especially if you're a man, do not treat that person of lesser value. If you really love that person, you would not treat them that way. That's not God's will for your life. You say, well, I'm in love. Well, Being in love and living together is not the same thing. True love is a love of self-sacrifice. True love says, I I love you. I am physically attracted to you. But the most loving thing I could do is marry you and commit my life. And you are worth it. So if, if you're living together right now, that is not God's will. Do not... Expect God to bless something that is sinful. Separate, seek Him, find restoration, and then God will bless you. Commit in covenant bonds of marriage, but do not treat that person of less value. And then she responds this way. She says in verse 19, Sir, I see that you are... A prophet. Now, what's interesting is that the Samaritans were looking for the one who would come to be like Moses. They called him the Taheb. Okay, so they weren't looking for the Messiah. The Samaritans only followed the Pentateuch. They they were actually a product of the Assyrians. Uh, the Assyrians colonizing the northern territory. The Assyrians uh, married and and mingled with those who remained, and that group became the Samaritans. And when Manasseh was kicked out of the Jerusalem temple, he made his own temple. So they're, they're seen as half-breeds, but at some point the Samaritans were actually more religious than the Jews. So there, this is where the battle is raging. So she was looking for... The Samaritans would have been looking for the greater Moses. She says, "...I see that you are a prophet." It's interesting that that one of the traditions of the Samaritan faith says that on the Day of Atonement, they would read this in their liturgy about Moses, the one who had to come, that there Moses would, that water shall flow from his buckets. That water would flow from the buckets of the taheb. She would have known that. And here she is at, at the well, and the greater Moses shows up. And he's reminding her, you know the, the liturgy where the, the, the buckets of the Messiah would overflow with water? That's about to come true. She says, I, I see that you are a prophet. And this is what she does. She, this Samaritan would be a really good Baptist. And you say, well, how do you know that? I'm going to prove it to you right now. He says, sir, verse 19, I see that you are a prophet. And then she goes, she pulls the religious card. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So she goes from an unsafe topic, her soul, to a safe topic. Religious battlegrounds. She says, well, Jesus, why don't you define the doctrine of election? She says, Jesus, some baptize infants, some don't. Which one is it? Jesus' hymns are worship songs. Hymnals are projectors. She's she's grasping at religious straws. Seats are pews. And we're so quick to jump to religious safe topics, aren't we? Because confession is risky. For us to lay our souls bare before God, there is risk. But confession is freeing for our souls. Never let religious safety keep you from spiritual refreshment. Never let religious safety keep you from spiritual refreshment. So Jesus says, okay, I'll play your game. Jesus told her in verse 21, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming where you will worship the Father not on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We Jews Worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming and is now here where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is what we call temple symbolism. Jesus says, I don't care about Mount Gerizim, it's not about the temple in Jerusalem, the true temple is here. And this is what I think we miss in this story. How does Jesus, this woman who is at the well, because she had to come because of shame. Jesus who is at the well, because he had to come because of the Spirit, because Jesus is on a rescue mission. How does he he relate to this woman? As a worshipper. He he speaks to this woman as a potential worshiper. There is not a single person in town, there is not a single self-respecting rabbi from the Jews or the Samaritans that would have looked at this woman and said, you can worship in the temple. And Jesus looks at her and says, the temple is now, you can worship. What a great God we have That we can worship Jesus. And in all of this, we ask, how does Jesus make the difference? Well, we know that this woman, she runs back to town. And as she's running back, she she passes the disciples. And when the disciples get to the well, they look at Jesus and say, were you talking to that woman uh, go back, by the way, and read the story of Wells. Wells in the Old Testament, thats that was like the original Christian mingle. That's where Isaac, Jacob, that's where you found your wife. And so there's all these undertones, and Jesus says there's more than that. There is living water. So we began today with the, the waters of baptism leading Jesus on a journey. A lack of water led Jesus to the well, but living water led him to the Samaritan. Living water led him to the Samaritan. So how can we live out these truths today? Um, I think first is about sin. Jesus does not excuse your sin. Why did Jesus press her on the husband issue? Because Jesus was not okay with her living in her sin and staying in her shame. And the same is true for you. Jesus is not okay with you living in sin. Because of God's holiness, your sin causes Him to react. The judgment of God will not ignore your sin. But praise be the Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, that He responds to your sin in my sin in judgment plus mercy plus grace and the living water flows church there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and every sinner who is plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains If you've come in here and you are riddled with sin, God is not content with you staying that way. You don't have to leave. And confession is risky. Confession is you laying your soul before God and saying, God, today I admit to you what you know about me. And I'm not going to give you the the church sins. I'm going to give you the dark ones. And if it's shame that brought you into this place today, you don't have to leave the well with shame. You can leave changed. That's what Jesus does. We also see here that Jesus breaks down barriers. Jesus is breaking down ethnic barriers. She's a Samaritan, he's breaking down gender barriers because she's a female. And he's breaking down cultural barriers. You see, we live in a world that wants to label you. Right? You're married or you're single. This is your profession. You're rich, you're poor. You're black, you're white. You're educated, you're not. We live in a world that labels people because when you can label someone, it's safer. And people with the same labels like to gather. And this woman had a label that no one else wanted to be around. But we don't have a Savior who is okay with labels. Jesus breaks down barriers. And if you come in here, maybe you have barriers in your life. You say, well, I don't like this group of people. You might not like heaven because I know that every nation, every tribe, every tongue is going to be there. No, would you just confess those sins? Maybe you've come in here and you say, well, I, I have a label. You can leave here different. and Changed. You can leave here and the world can say, well, do you know who you are? You say, well, I know what it used to be. You can leave here and tell the world, well, I, I came to the well because I had a label, but I'm leaving with a different label. Because Jesus promises that he... That he provides and if I drink of the living water, I will never thirst again. Jesus is breaking down barriers. And we see something about confession. Ambiguous confession never leads to repentance. Don't let safe religiosity keep you from spiritual refreshment. And maybe for the first time today, you need to go to God and say, God, this is it. These are the rags. And God says, I will now clothe you in robes of righteousness. And then as I think about Jesus, he had to go to the well because there was someone who needed to be saved. And that's why he is coming to this place, because there's someone that needs to be saved. But what would it look like if the people of Christ were living in the Spirit. What, what would Moody and Odenville, what would St. Clair, Clair look like if we left here saying we have to do these things because God's Spirit is leading us? Oh, how different our community would be. And I'm so thankful for a God that, that doesn't just give us a Spirit, He puts a Spirit inside of us. That's how I want to live. And that's how God has gifted you to love. The water, the well, and the worship. Church, would you drink deeply today? That we would leave here refreshed, that we would never thirst. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, know that He's already paid the price. If you would confess your sins, if you say, God, I know what you now know, I am a sinner, and I want this living water. God, take my label and give me liberty. God, take my shame and give me freedom. Do you know how God responds to that prayer, the prayer of authentic repentance? He responds this way, I thought you would never ask. Welcome home. Do not miss a chance to spend time with Christ. And if you've made a decision, connect with us online or with that green connect card. I'll be down front. I'm going to stay down front after the service. If God has done something in you, we want to celebrate. But I do know this, people who have tasted the living water, nothing else will quench your thirst quite like Jesus. Let's pray. Father.